0: You're listening to the podcast of The Branch in Ashland, Virginia. We live in a fast-paced, busy world where we can all seem to barely make eye contact with one another, let alone actually see each other, talk to each other, and try to understand the things that we're all facing. How much margin do you have with other people? Do you tolerate them because you have to, or do you actually feel compassion for them? Today we look at how Jesus approached people, how he understood the importance of having margin and making space for the people around him, even when he didn't plan on it. And speaking of conflicts and other things that we struggle with in life, we, you know, from the moment that there, were more, there was more than one person on this earth, there was conflict between people, Right? As soon as Adam and Eve were together and God gave them instructions, they somehow managed to blow that. And... And Adam uh, quickly learned what not to say to your wife when he said to God, Hey, that lady that you gave me, she's the one who made me do it, right? And from that point on, we've had conflict between uh, each other. We, as human beings, because of that original sin, because of what Adam and Eve did, we have this tendency towards selfishness and self centeredness. And it creates all kinds of conflict between us. And even Uh, that, That place where we look at everybody else and we say, well, they must be the problem. I mean, none of us ever do that, I'm sure. But, uh, but there's a tendency sometimes as human beings to say, well, I've got it all figured out, but um, you must be the problem. And over the course of this series, through uh, as we're looking at margin, we've kind of borrowed some passages from C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, which if you're familiar with it, it was a, a fictional account of this correspondence between uh, a demon and a demon in training, and uh, we only see one side of the conversation, but uh, there's a lot of insight that we can get from that one side of the conversation. And C.S. Lewis, in the screw Tape re- Letters, he wrote this. He said, when two humans have lived together for many years, it usually happens that each has tones of voice and expressions of face, which are almost undurably, unendurably irritating to the other. Work on that. <laughs> Bring fully into the consciousness of your patient that particular life of his mother's eyebrows, which he learned to dislike in the nursery, and let him think how much he dislikes it. Let him assume that she knows how annoying it is and does it to annoy. If you know your job, he'll not notice the immense improbability of the assumption. And of course, never let him suspect that he has tones uh, and looks which similarly annoy her. As he cannot see or hear himself, this is easily managed. So interesting that even uh, C.S. Lewis, as he portrays what the enemy does to, to have us fighting amongst ourselves, talks about that we all have that tendency to, think, to look at things and say, man, that's really annoying. I've said for years that, that criticism is autobiographical, that the things that, that bug the crap out of us and other people, if we look in the mirror, they're probably there. Um, and I've, unfortunately, I've seen that in myself over and over again. All you have to do is have kids and you can realize that um, they're your mirror images and all the things that can annoy you about them. You're like, oh, where'd they get that from? Huh, I wonder they got it from me. And we have this tendency, though, when we approach people uh, to, to have such impatience And so how do we go about interacting with other people? As we've talked about margin and admitted that a a marginless life is the devil's playground, that if we don't create margin in our lives, if we don't leave space for God and and for things to happen, then uh, we will easily find ourselves in frustrated places. And, And I know that in our relationships with one another, we can easily get into that place where we're frustrated frustrated and oftentimes i think it happens because we don't have margin and one of the big questions i think we need to ask even when it comes to margin with people is how interruptible are you how much space have you created in your life to be able to engage with other people even the annoying ones even the what i call egr people the extra grace required people and you know that you have them don't try to tell me that you don't but we all have those people. And so what do we do when we see the faults in others? How do we respond to them? Do we just walk away? You know, In Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, he writes to them of valuing the interests of others, putting others' interests above our own. And I think it's an approach that is so much easier said than done. You know, we can sit here on a Sunday morning and we can say, oh yes, I'm going to value the needs of others. And then the moment that you know, one of our kids or our friends or a family member or somebody, co-worker, asks us for something, we're like, no, I'm not giving that to you. And you're like, oh, there it goes. I just blew it. And so as we think about what Paul says there to the church in Philippi, Paul, Paul says we need to look at Jesus as the example of how we interact with other people. And what was Jesus' approach towards other people? Was Jesus interruptible in his life? Did he create margin in his life so that he could deal with other people? And so this week while I was away in Colorado, I decided that I was going to just start reading. Because I'm like, this is an interesting idea to me to think, how did Jesus interact with people? Throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the the biblical accounts of Jesus' life here on earth, we see... Uh, all these different accounts of, of Jesus interacting with people. And I started in Matthew 1, and I started reading through, and it didn't take me past Matthew 9 before I finally saw this pattern that over and over again, Jesus was there, and it says, and they came to Him. And, and they came to Him. And Jesus didn't go looking for it. You know, and I think many of us in our lives, we don't go out looking for things Uh, And for people, somehow or another, they find us, right? And they come to us. And so what did Jesus do when that happened? We see in the end of Matthew chapter 9, uh, an account of Jesus interacting with people. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 9, reading in the New International Version. Starting in verse 35, this is what... Jesus healed the sickness and the disease of the people around us. Now, I, unless some of you are holding out on me, I don't know that any of you are going out and doing that on a regular basis. Now, I believe that God, yes, He, he still heals, but uh, none of us heal like Jesus does. There's only one Messiah. He was it. And, and I don't see many of us going out and, and laying hands on and seeing a lot of miraculous stuff. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but... Um, it's not a regular occurrence and so what are we doing though as we interact with other people as we are in our neighborhoods and and go to the stores and jobs and schools and other places where we are how do we interact with other people are we paying attention to them and the question to ask ourselves is are we stopping enough to notice the hurts and the aches of the people around us you know, I, I will fully admit, and I have before, my own struggle in this. I, you know, some of you have called me out on my inability to be able to see people instead of tasks. That there are times, even on Sunday mornings, that I see what I have to get done, and people are just a distraction from that. And I have to be very careful to, and intentional to make sure that I'm looking at the people. Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus noticed them. You know, this past week was a prime example. I, I've, as I've gotten older, I, I realize I'm getting to be an uh, angry old man too, but um, I, I realize that I've got to like, lower my expectation for things when I go into them. Because if I don't, then like, everything's going to be a disappointment. But if you have low expectations, like you're going to win every time. Because like, if they're low, then it's like, well, I told you that's what was going to happen. And if someone exceeds it, then you're like, hey, this is a bonus, right? So I I went out to Colorado knowing that there'd be some people that I hadn't seen in a while. There's a couple people that I stay connected with who are throughout the country. Um, I was with other church planners who are part of our network of churches, our, our denomination and spent time with a few people in particular. And, and one of my friends, Michael, who, who I was with, as, as we started talking and, and I sat there and I listened, he started sharing about the last few years. In 2016, his brother passed away. And then in 2018, uh, his mother was given the diagnosis of pancreatic cancer, which was the same cancer that took my mom as well. And a few months later, she was gone. And then less than a year later, he lost his dad. And as we started talking, we realized that both of us lost our mothers at the same age. And I sat there and it was, you know, I, I maybe some of you fall into the same category that like someone starts telling you what's going on in your life and you're like, how can I fix this? Like my, my brain goes to engineer mode and I'm like, okay, like what, what's the problem? Can I give them advice? And it's like over and over again, the Holy Spirit said, shut up. Like stop. Like don't fix this. This, this isn't a problem to fix. This is somebody who's hurting and in need and just needs you to be present and close to them. And to say, hey, brother, I love you. Hey, I hear you. I'm sorry. And it's amazing to me that when I shut my mouth and I just put a hand on somebody, that's way more effective than any words that I can fill the air with. It doesn't matter what I say. And we've seen, look, look, read your Bible and you can see plenty of the clowns in here who are saying things that they shouldn't. Like they should have shut their mouths a long time ago. Read the book of Job and you'll see that pouring out where there's somebody in need, somebody who's hurting and instead of just sitting there and weeping with them, or holding them, or loving them, they try to fill the air with stupid stuff. If you've ever, I mean, I'm not shy about talking about my own loss, but I, I mean, I remember when I lost my parents, and, and I wish in some ways, in other ways I don't wish, but that I had a recorder when people would go through the line at the funeral home, because the stupid things that people say, in like, like, oh, they're better off now. And I'm like, but I'm not. Like, right? So, hey, next time that you're in front of, you you know, you go visiting hours at a funeral, don't get like, oh, my gosh, am I going to say the wrong thing? Like, just say, hey, I'm sorry, I love you, I'm here. I mean, those are really simple things to say. And as I spent time with my friend Michael this week, and at the end we hugged, and, and he said, hey, man, I really love you. And he said, thank you for all that you did. And I'm like, I don't know that I really did anything but I put my hand on and I saw him and I loved him and he felt seen and loved and I realized how significant that was you see because being present with people can be far more significant than we realize it's not always giving answers to people but You know, if I had said, well, I need to talk to this person and talk to this person, this person, which is my usual MO. If I had done that, then I would have been like, hey, Michael, I'll talk to you in a minute. And I'd have buzzed off and gone somewhere else, said, hey, I'm going to talk to this person first. I'll get back to you. That's what marginless life does to us. Because we have all these tasks, we have all these things before us. And some of us are knit that way. Like some of us make checklists and like if we don't get through that list and the other two that are behind it in a the day, then we've failed. But when we schedule our days out so much, then people look at us and they're like, that's a taskmaster. But do they really care? Do they really love me? Look, and yeah, another friend that I spent time with this week, like too, he he made me laugh a lot because you know he is if i thought i was becoming an angry old man he's exceeded me on that but um but one of the things that he talked about was oh i'm so tired of hearing people talk about their trauma and oh my gosh and i'm like dude i totally hear you but like where's the balance right Like we can be the taskmaster who's like people are just a cogs in the machine of what I get done during the day or we can just listen to everything and at the end of the day be like, oh my gosh, I'm exhausted. Am I a counselor or am I like, you know, a person who (laughs) needs to understand my own emotions and feelings? And even as we think about our own response and creating margin with people, we have to remember, again, that they're people. You know, last... A couple weeks ago, I was part of an installation service for a new pastor of the the church that um, that we came out of, that we were sent out of, and and you know I told them I was surprised that they let me speak because they know some of them know me, and um, and I'm not one to shy away from you know controversy, so I decided I was gonna. I found I've gotten smart enough, I guess, at this age that. It's always better to use somebody else's words when you're going to be controversial because then you can say the experts said it, right? And so I pulled out Eugene Peterson who was a pastor and um, an incredible, uh, just wise man. If you ever read the message translation or, or paraphrase of the Bible, he's the one who put that all together and it was all for his small little church. But he wrote a memoir towards the end of his life about his life as a pastor, and he said this. He said, Many pastors, disappointed or disillusioned with their congregations, they defect after a few years and find more congenial work. And many congregations, disappointed or disillusioned with their pastors, dismiss them and look for pastors more to their liking. I wonder if at the root of the defection is a cultural assumption that all leaders are people who get things done and make things happen. But while being a pastor certainly has some of these components, the pervasive elements in our 2,000-year pastoral tradition is not someone who gets things done, but rather the person placed in the community to pay attention and to call attention to what's going on right now between men and women, with one another and with God. This kingdom of God that's primarily local, relentlessly personal, and prayerful without ceasing. And this isn't just a message for pastors. This is a message for all of us who consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus Christ. People placed in community to pay attention and to call attention to what's going on between one another. How are we doing with that? How are we doing with paying attention and noticing the things? This passage in Matthew 9 says that when Jesus looked at the crowds that had been following Him around, that He had compassion. And it's a, a funny word in Greek. The Greek word is splachnitsomai. And the, the root of that word is, is splaknon, which means bowels or guts. Because in the ancient world, they believed that, that the bowels were the seat of love and pity. And so when you looked at somebody having compassion, meant you felt it within your gut. So next time you have gas, maybe you're just being compassionate, right? No. So Jesus looked on the crowds and He had compassion on them. He felt it in His deepest part. And again, like, I'll, I'll be transparent and vulnerable here and tell you that that's one of the hardest things in the world for me. I I don't even know how many times I said it to people this week when I was away, but I'm like, I have a hard enough time with my own feelings and emotion. Don't give me yours. Like, it's so hard. Like, I'm trying to decipher what's going on over here, and then everybody else comes. And I'm not saying that to say, hey, don't share your problems with John, because God's working on me through that. God's saying no. Like, people are going to come. My responsibility isn't solving it. I think the reason that I avoid them so much is because I think my responsibility is to solve them, but that's not my responsibility. Jesus healed them, sure. But, but that compassion that He had, they were lost. <laughs> and the thing about what Jesus does is that he looks at them, he feels compassion for them, but he also has an answer for the thing that's aching and missing deep inside them. He's going around, as the passage says, that he's going through, he's teaching about the good news of the kingdom, and he's healing every sickness within them. And Jesus tells his disciples, I love the fact that Jesus uses every opportunity to speak into the disciples' lives and say, hey, I've got a lesson for you here. I want to teach you something here. And he says, the harvest is plentiful, but there's not enough workers. I mean, I was talking last night with my in-laws about that, that like McDonald's is giving signing bonuses, right? Like there's so much work out there that fast food places are giving signing bonuses. And I think about that even in relation to what Jesus said. There's so much work out there, so much kingdom work. There's so many hurting and lost people. There's so many people that if we look and stop for a minute, we can look at them with compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're wandering aimlessly around. And Jesus says there's more work than all of us can handle. As we say in the southern vernacular, there's more than y'all can handle, right? And Jesus says, so let's go and pray and ask the Lord of the harvest to multiply us so that others can go about. You see, what Jesus did in this passage and throughout the Gospels was that He earned the right to proclaim the good news of the Kingdom of God by having compassion on them and meeting their needs. You know, so often I've seen, with my own experience in the church, that we do one or the other. You know, we, we do what I call the, uh, the timeshare spiel to people with Jesus. We say, if you sit down and listen to my 30-minute spiel on Jesus, then I'll meet your need. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll get you a meal or I'll fill up your gas tank or whatever. Like, Or we say, well, I'm just going to go and I'm going to preach the gospel and if I must, I'll use words. I mean, I, I get the sentiment of that. But, but it, Jesus married those two things together. He, he combined them together. And He said, I'm going to go and I'm going to meet these people's needs. I'm going to have compassion on them. And at the same time, when they ask, because I know they will, and I have compassion on them, I'm going to share the good news of the kingdom of God. What would it look like if the church began to do that? What if people ran to the church because they knew there was nowhere else where they would find compassion? That there was nowhere else where they knew people would see them and love them and not try to fix them or solve their problems or convert them so that they could put another notch on their belt, but just to love them like Jesus did. Tommy Thompson, in, in a book that he wrote, said this. He said, interruptible people are usually humble people without overinflated egos. When my life is too full, my body language communicates impatience. If we attempt to meet every need that comes our way, then we guarantee we'll not have the space to be interruptible. And again, I'm on this journey with y'all. God has had to do a lot of work in me to stop and to see people. Just this past week, I watched the branch be the branch without me around, which is always one of the greatest pleasures that I have. And I don't even remember what day it was because it all blurred to me, but, but three of our branch partners went uh, to the school that we're partnered with and they delivered. Uh, this is something that happens kind of seasonally that these three friends, these three branch partners, they go and they bring some goodies and they bring a drawing that one of them, Marsha there on the left, um, that she has drawn. Well, when I first met Marsha, um, you know, she was uh, mostly homebound. I mean, she mostly stays at her house. And we got to talking, and, and so in our conversations, I found out that God had given her an artistic gift. And, and she kind of talked about how, in the past, people hadn't really appreciated that before. And how uh, she just wondered what she could do for for the kingdom of God. She wondered how she could serve God. And I started thinking about our school and the fact that every day teachers came into that workroom And if any of you teach, then you know the struggle of the day and those encouragements that you need along the way and the sugar that you need because all your kids have so much energy and you've got to try your best to keep up with them. And so I said, would you consider, Marsha, drawing something Because this is what we do. We're partnered with the school. And we would love, I said, I would love to be able to put some of your artwork in a frame just to encourage the teachers. You know, it wasn't rocket science. I didn't know how it was going to be received. We've been doing this for over a year. And the difference that it's made in Marsha's life is unbelievable. You know, we don't see her on Sunday morning, but she's a partner with the branch. And I'm grateful for her. I'm grateful because I see that smile when, when I see that she's being on purpose. And she's taking the gifts that God's given her to be used. And, and I always love these correspondence with her. I'm not sure what I'm going to draw yet. What, what should I draw? And, and what do you think about this? And, and then, lo and behold, we go and deliver something and the teachers and the staff are all overjoyed. Not just because of the sugar. <laughs> but you know, God had to teach me a lesson about stopping and slowing down and seeing somebody and actually knowing them to know, hey, how can I connect them to something in some way that God could use them? None of this would have happened had I not allowed myself to be interrupted. And look, (laughs) I am not going to stand here and pretend I'm getting it right every day. i am telling you right now, I'm going to disappoint someone in this room probably in the next 48 hours. So I'm not telling you to say, hey, look at me, I'm an example of wonder and amazement. I'm saying, hey, if God can use a screw-up like me and help me pay attention once in a while, I've got confidence in you too. That He can use all of us to see people as they are, not as problems to be solved or machines in the cog and and wheels of our own creation and mechanism, but as people that are created in the image of God that need to be seen and loved. But we can only do that when we make ourselves interruptible, when we create space in our lives so that people can interrupt us. Yeah, we're going to have to pray for discernment in that. We have to know there's limitations to that because some of us could go overboard. Some of us don't have the self-discipline to know when to say when, yes. But are we taking steps towards making our lives lives of margin so that we are interruptible people? And so what do we do with that? Again, these questions that we ask, they're not questions that shut us down. They're not questions that are meant to frustrate us either. They're questions that hopefully, if we really wrestle with them and explore them, God, through the Holy Spirit, will begin to do a work in us. So ask yourself these questions, not so that you can feel guilty and say, well, I'm, not, I'm totally not nailing this one, but so that God can say, okay, what are the beginning processes by which God, you can begin to change me. And so ask yourself, how interruptible are you? How interruptible am I? You know, is my schedule so, you know, one thing, moving from one thing to the another, from like 8 to 6 o'clock every day so that there's no space for anything? Or are we leaving margin in our schedule? Are you allowing yourself to be interrupted? And how, second question is, how are you about being present with people? Again, I, I this is another thing that God's had to convict me on. Like, I can be physically present with somebody, but like mentally in another world. Where I'm not hearing what's going on. I'm not seeing, I'm not listening. So ask yourself that too. How am I doing? Like, I can be physically present with my kids, but, you know, reading emails or or whatever. How are we doing with that? And then finally, how compassionate are you? Look, maybe some of you feel like feel what I'm saying about like, I've got enough dealing with my own emotions. I don't want yours either. But like God's called us into this. And what's even greater is that not only did God call us into this, but he came into it. That's the incarnation. That's Jesus putting on flesh, living among us so that he could experience all that yucky, nasty stuff that we experience. I'm sure He would have rather done it another way. And yet, Jesus entered into our pain. He entered into the brokenness of this world. Not just to enter into it, but but to fix it. To be the solution. To be the one who made us whole again. And that's the message of the kingdom. The message that we get to share with other people. How interruptible are you? Are you so consumed with the tasks at hand that you forget to look at those around you, seeing their needs and being present with them? Jesus calls his people, the church, to represent him by meeting needs and bringing the message of the kingdom of God to those around us. It isn't rocket science, but we somehow manage to miss it and miss those people as we're consumed by tasks and busyness. Take time this week to pay attention to the people around you. Sometimes all they need is to be seen, heard, and to know that someone actually cares for them. Do your best to be Jesus to them and allow yourself to be interruptible. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at thebranchashland at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, give us a review, and share with your friends and family.